wisest people I know at The Athletic, David Ubbin, our Tennessee beat writer. You heard him here a few weeks ago answering your questions. I trust his opinion on these questions, and there's there's some good ones. And so I wanted to make sure we had somebody who was going to give you the best possible insight. But before we get to questions, I have to ask David about a story that you can read on The Athletic right now. This podcast is dropping Monday morning. This story went up shortly before the podcast did. This story, David, sounds insane. It is about a kidnapping, a dog napping, actually. You 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 cover Tennessee. Tennessee's mascot is Smokey the Blue Tick Coonhound, and somebody kidnapped Smokey years ago. I'm amazed that very few Tennessee fans, at least that I have talked to just out in the world, were aware of the time that Smokey got kidnapped. And I kind of knew that it happened, but I didn't really know much more than one time Smokey got kidnapped. So at The Athletic this week, it's Mascot Week. We're writing a lot of interesting stories about mascots from a lot of different perspectives. And Smokey, of course, the beloved mascot of Tennessee. And this is one of the wildest stories that I have come across because all I'll say is Smokey was kidnapped and there was a week of abject chaos in Knoxville, Lexington, and quite literally everywhere in between. So uh, check it out on The Athletic. Yeah, we're not giving away the store here. We want you to subscribe to read this one because <laughs> it is nuts. Let us let me let me put it this way. There is a, uh, a clipping from the Knoxville Journal from when this happened, and it involves the phrase, note the smile on Smokey's face. And there is a dog doing a dog smile while wearing Kentucky garb. That's a tease. That's a tease, Andy. That's an A-plus tease. That's exactly right. That's what they teach you in radio school, except I didn't go to radio <laughs> school. So I went to newspaper school. So, But, yeah, we. I I am fascinated by the The mascot week's going to be fun. It, it is. I guess I wrote a mascot story last week, sort of, doing the, the Florida gator bait thing, but I think that's a little bit different kind of story. So... But this will be a little more breezy reading after several weeks of heavy reading. So go, go read some mascot stories. But right now, we're going to get into the Dear Andy segment of this podcast because I love it when you ask me questions. You guys ask great questions, and we got another bunch of good ones. I couldn't answer them all in the mailbag last week. We do have one that I'm going to answer here that we answered in the column as well. Mostly because I wanted to run it by another person, and that we'll, we'll get to that one. But let's start with a with a more nuts and bolts football question because I think I think this is an important one, especially this time of year. Dear Andy, Stuart Mandel's column last week talked about blue chip ratios and the teams that are consistently set up to be contenders. There were fifteen of, of them, pretty much the usual suspects. What teams do you see as being the opposite end of that spectrum, the ones that face what seem to be insurmountable obstacles to the playoff? Even if they're very good some years, teams that come to mind immediately are West Virginia, who is absolutely crushed by the travel required since they joined the Big 12, and UCLA with their stadium 26 miles from campus, throwing a huge wet blanket on fan support. I think you can also put Texas A&M into the highly unlikely group, as they would have to beat 
LSU, Auburn, and Alabama just to get to the SEC championship game each year. So that question is from Christopher B. And so a little context here. The blue chip ratio is something that was created by Bud Elliott, who is a writer for 24-7 Sports now. He used to work for SB Nation. He started writing about this in 2013. And basically what the blue chip ratio is, is the minimum cost of admission to win a national title. You have to be able to sign more four and five stars than you sign two and three stars. So everybody over 50% four and five stars is above the cut line, and that is everyone who is capable of winning a national title and will be until somebody who doesn't do it wins a national title, which has not happened yet. So, David, it, you heard that list, and, I, and I'll, I'll go over the blue-chip ratio schools for this year because there's actually a lot this year. It's 15. Uh, when Bud started doing this, it was like 12 a year. So this is actually a bigger sample size of teams that could possibly win the national title. But... It is a lot of usual suspects. It's Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Texas, LSU, Oklahoma, Clemson, Florida, Michigan, Auburn, Penn State, Notre Dame, Washington, USC, and Texas A&M. So we'll start with Christopher's question. What schools do you see never being able to get on this list? He mentioned West Virginia. I don't think it's just because of where they are. In the Big 12, I just think their state doesn't produce a lot of talent. You'd have to get Ohio players that Ohio State wants. You'd have to get North Carolina players that the schools there want or that Clemson wants. But what other schools just you know pop into your mind as ones that we'll never see on that side of the cut line? Yeah, West Virginia was a good example. I think going from the Big East to the Big 12 you know, is, is a, a jump that I still don't think they've fully adjusted to. And, and like you said... When you have to recruit Ohio and North Carolina and those other states, convincing those kids to go play in the Big Twelve, that's a tough sell. Um, am I allowed to? Am I allowed to challenge him on A and M here? Even though A and M technically was on the list. But, oh, I want you to because okay, yeah. I was going to do it too. So, so you you go so first. So first of all, there's zero reasons why A and M should not be as good or a better program than LSU, Alabama, Auburn, anyone in the West. I think Georgia's the best job in America. Um, but the resources and talent are not replicable. Replicable, like outside, of, like what you have for in terms of your university resource and the talent around you within reach of your of your campus. You know, you can't. Those things only exist in some places. And A and M has as good as anyone. And, and it, as good as anyone's. Yeah. Even if the competition. In yeah. Texas and it's is a tough. so I, I don't I don't see A and M. Huge at all. state. Yeah. Huge state. Huge football state. You're the SEC school in Texas. Like. There really isn't an excuse. And, and I did a story years ago on AM and was kind of listing all the different things that AM has going for it. And it is mysterious that they've, they've never really been in contention for a national title in the modern era. Like in the BCS or the playoff era, they've not been in contention at all. And it doesn't make a lot of sense. I couldn't tell now, you why. Really yeah, makes... That's the weird thing about AM. Yeah. I couldn't give you a real reason why. No, and, and everybody's, oh, they're crazy. They're this, they're that. Well, they're not that crazy. I mean, I remember when they were in the Big 12, David, and you, you were covering the Big 12 very extensively at this point. I was laughing as they were flirting with the SEC, and the Big 12 people would, would say, you know, they go on Twitter and talk to, like, LSU and Alabama fans, like, wait, wait till you see how crazy these people are. I'm like, dude, have you met Alabama and LSU fans and Auburn fans? They're going to fit right in. Yeah, I... I think so. So let's buzz through some conferences. I guess is the quickest way. Only okay. so I think 
I guess right. you could throw Missouri in there because they're most of the schools in the SEC. I think at some way because if you win the SEC, first of all, you can do that with one or two losses. If you win the SEC, you're getting in the playoff. So I think Missouri probably deserves a spot on there. You could make a case for a few others of like good programs that it's could, hard, it's tough could, to get them. Could Missouri get the players? That's yeah. I, could Missouri recruit at that mm-hmm. level? Is the question. And I think you got to be near enough players and that's why that's where like even wisconsin i don't know if wisconsin's ever going to get on this list yeah and they're a they're an extremely successful program now i'm sure the michigan fans who listen to ari wasserman all the time are like wait we're on the list (laughs) yes you've recruited well it's just not as well as as ohio state yeah having to play ohio state as the gatekeeper to the playoff every year you know is is a tough draw i put kansas state on there just impossible to amass the kind of talent you need to get to the playoff oklahoma state iowa state yeah oklahoma state too although i should say i did pick them to reach the playoff in multiple places this year including dave campbell's texas football where i used to work uh so oklahoma state i think is probably in the mix and then texas tech of course texas tech feels like perennially like a seven and five team and then they you know win nine or ten games every now and then but they can't seem to get out of there any others you think from the big 12 that you would throw on there uh iowa state that's the only other one i can think of uh going to the sec i don't think kentucky or vanderbilt is is going to get across that 50 percent line i think i think mark stoops has done a marvelous job working within the confines of the res- it's not restrictions recruiting at Kentucky, but it's just harder to recruit at Kentucky than it is to recruit at Alabama or Auburn or LSU. So I think he's done a great job identifying talent, but I don't think they're ever going to have the kind of talent level that Auburn or LSU has. I actually think South Carolina could get on that list because they're in a state with a, a school that is. Now, Clemson has to probably fall off for South Carolina to be on, and, and I think that's what you saw. You saw South Carolina be dominant for five years in that rivalry when Steve Spurrier was there and they had the talent they had Jadavian Clowney and Marcus Lattimore and Alshon Jeffrey and and those guys those guys all go to Clemson now yeah that's the difference yeah I think South Carolina could get in the playoff I wouldn't put on there am I are, are we here's a here's a tough one for you. are we allowed to say Michigan State because they did make the playoff but they also didn't score a point and while they might be able to get into the playoff it just it feels impossible for them to win a national title in the modern era maybe maybe uh, just well, okay maybe. This is this is Mel Tucker's challenge because Mel Tucker is going there with the a- idea that he's going to recruit the way Alabama and Georgia recruit. They they have the same the critical factors list that that Nick Saban guys all use. Where if you're looking for a corner, you want him to be six feet tall and you want him to have hips that do this and this that this. So can Michigan State sign those guys? Now Mel Tucker went to Colorado with the you know a, an intent to sign those guys. We don't know. We get an incomplete there because he didn't stay very long. But but Michigan State is a good school, has a ton of money, is not that far from good players. You know, it, Michigan also has been able to, in the past, not recently, but in the past, go into Ohio and get very, very good players. So could Michigan State do that? You know, I think you'd have to have a fall off from Ohio State at some point. But if Mel Tucker can do it, it's possible because I don't feel like Michigan State has things holding it back. I don't think geography holds back Michigan State either because it's not that hard to get there. I mean, Detroit's a huge airport. That's an hour and 15-minute drive, or you could just fly into Lansing. So they could recruit Atlanta. They could recruit you know places like Ohio State is recruiting right now and recruiting well. So that's the part. 
that's sort of the, the litmus test for Mel Tucker is can he get players like that? Because if you can't, then you're not going to be competitive against Ohio State and Michigan and, and Penn State. But if you if you can, then yeah, you, you got a shot. Yeah, I think you've got to have uh, absolutely Iowa on this list. It feels like they go eight, yes. nine wins every single year, it feels like, under Kirk Ferentz. Yeah, and they'll have they'll have a very good team every once in a while, but it's it's more of a case of they've had some good players, they've developed them, they have a really senior heavy roster. That's not going to happen. Like the reason we see Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State and Clemson in in contention every year and Oklahoma in contention every year is they just reload. And it's hard to it's hard to build that sort of talent base. Although I asked this David when we were talking about the Chris Doyle thing with Iowa, did they miss out on some good recruits who didn't want to go there? Cause maybe word was out about the way that program was. That's a good question. I mean, I think we'd have to ask them the guys that they came, I suppose, close on and guys that were really sort of kicking the tires pretty hard and, and maybe heard some stuff. Um, that's a good question. I, I wonder, um, and, and maybe you see an uptick after this. I'm, I'm curious to see how that plays out. Yeah. And I, I just, I think, Iowa, though, remains one of the geographically challenged schools. Minnesota is one. Now, here's one. Nebraska. I'm not sure they'll ever get back to that that point. And they were they were a program years ago that did. Now, they didn't have recruiting rankings, but they would go get really good players from, like, New Jersey and all over the country. That just doesn't happen as much. Yeah, anymore. it's it's different when everyone's on national TV and Nebraska's not one of ten schools that's on TV every Saturday. I think they have been the biggest victim of the modern era of college football for sure. Um, okay, so moving to the ACC, I have t- this. This is two questions for you. Um, okay. Now, well, I, wait before before we move to the ACC, let's let's talk about one more school in the SEC, and it's the one you cover. Sure, they're an interesting test case. I think. Everybody's been reading about Tennessee and, and their recruiting success recently. If they if they recruit like they have and, and get commitments like they have in the last two, three months, then in two or three years they'll be on this list. And that, and how different will that be? Because then you'd have three schools in the east and probably three school three or four schools in the west on the list. Mm-hmm. So Tennessee right now. Um, you know, I think they can recruit at that level. I think the, the the difficulty that they have always had that was easier when they had it going was they were the dominant program, but they have to recruit so much outside of the state of Tennessee. I mean, right now, Tennessee, 23 commits, I want to say, two from the state of Tennessee right now. Um, they're not they're not real high on the in-state talent for 2021, but they did get a ton of guys from Memphis last year. Um, it seems like they don't put a huge emphasis on, oh, we have to take this guy because we're going to miss – it's sort of just like year-to-year evaluations. But the question for Tennessee is, can you go into South Carolina and beat Clemson and South Carolina for kids? Can you go into Georgia and beat Georgia for kids? That's always going to be hard to amass like elite, elite, national championship-level talent. I – I think it's still too soon. I think Jerry Pruitt is off to a really good start, um, but the challenge is just massive. And then, of course, too, when you're the only school in the SEC besides Auburn that has to play Alabama and Georgia every year, ah, that's a that's a tough, tough draw. Um, and so I think Tennessee really kind of straddles the fence, but I think just the fact that they are so close to that blue-chip ratio and they'll be able to recruit, you know, 
they'll be able to have, I think, if Jerry Pruitt continues on his trajectory, they'll be able to have a top 10 roster in college football, not and not far from now. But can you turn that into being a top 10 program? There's so many variables, and we, and we just don't know because we haven't seen um, what Jerry Pruitt can do with a, with a better roster when he's in charge of everything. So what were those questions in the ACC? Okay, so they have poor history, but David Cutcliffe has, has stabilized them as a good program. Duke and Georgia Tech as well. Two places that have some difficulty when you're talking about fan support, when you're talking about academics, but good programs. I would put them on the list. And then in the Pac-12, I'd throw Stanford for similar reasons as well. Although, we'll see so, if Stanford... I can see Stanford because the Pac-12 George, is so weak. Stanford might be able to get into the, into the playoff. Georgia Tech's an interesting one to me because you it's a state school... It's a good state school, but you can get guys in. It's not they're not fishing from a smaller pool the way Duke and Notre Dame and Stanford are. The difference with Georgia Tech and this is it's actually similar to Notre Dame once you get them into school is there are there are no majors to hide people in at Georgia Tech. You you you're still going to have to take some pretty difficult classes and I think that's where they have the issues is you know they got to find guys who can get through the classes and that's the same same with Notre Dame that shrinks the pool a little more than you'd think even though you can get with Georgia Tech get some of those guys in initially so we'll see what happens with them but I do think with Jeff Collins he has the right eye for it he knows what he's looking for but can he get those guys and then will everybody be academically successful enough to to you know develop two three four years and and play I think that's the challenge there. But, you know, the ACC is so interesting, David, because Clemson, I, I don't think we would have said in 2008 when, when Dabo Sweeney was the interim that they'd be on this yeah, list. Yeah, I might put Clemson on the time. list of, of can't quite get there. You're right. Yeah. yeah. The, the one I probably would have said, well, two, here's a couple. Virginia Tech and NC State, I think I would have said both have a chance to get on that list. And I still think they could in the, under the right circumstances, but – I'm not sure either one has the right circumstances right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's tough because we've seen Virginia Tech be an elite program in the modern era, play for a national championship. So it's hard to say, oh, well, they can't get them. But, yeah, when you're talking about getting them on the blue chip ratio, becoming one of those 12 to 15, I could definitely see it. Um, but you just got to find the right guy. Fuente, you know, a nice start, but it's, it's you know, it's sort of felt like they're spinning their wheels a little bit. All the turnover a couple years ago, uh, I think that's that's something that's tough to come back from. And then there's one that's normally on this list that's not this year, and that's Florida State. I think they'll be yeah. back on it in a year. Yeah, or two. I don't imagine. I mean, I think what was it now? This is our th- their third coach in four years. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah, like it's okay, like a lot of turnover. Yeah, give them a little bit of time. Uh, Georgia Tech, though, I will say they get to recruit. Uh, hey, come live in downtown Atlanta. Uh, that's a nice little pitch. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean that. <laughs> That's a it's a nice campus and there's all kinds of nice a little antico pizza for you right down the road those delicious biscuits at the, at the silver skillet it it's hard to beat now you got to take math and depending on what you major in you might have to take a lot of math. I'm not I'm so not sure I could that, graduate from Georgia issue. Tech I think I would struggle <laughs> I am certain I could not I lived in a frat I lived in a frat house at Georgia Tech uh, between my junior and senior years of college uh, I had some friends from high school who were in a fraternity there. And I was interning at the Atlanta Journal Constitution, and they charged me like six hundred bucks for the entire three month period I was there. So I couldn't beat the price, but man, everybody was really smart, <laughs> and I felt very stupid. What do you make of Stanford out west in the Pac twelve? I I think they 
sort of peaked in terms of talent acquisition. I don't think they, they're done winning. I don't think that they're, they've fallen off and they'll never be good again. I think they've just sort of – they had a run there where they were the best team in the Pac-12, and then they weren't necessarily signing the, the kind of talent that USC was, but they were signing good talent. But then I think Chris Peterson got, there, got in there at Washington, started chipping away at that. Uh, Mario Cristobal got to Oregon, started chipping away at that. So you see Washington's on this list now. We'll see if Jimmy Lake can keep him on it. Mario Cristobal will have Oregon on the list next year. Yeah, I mean, that, the, just the rate they're going, they're going to. I think I would disagree with our. I, I think I would disagree with our with our reader on UCLA, just because I think there are like eight or nine schools that if you got the right coach in there, they could win big because there's there's not the well, kind yeah, of roadblocks. Mora got talent yeah. there. Yeah, Mora got talent there. It's not you, but you have to have a guy who can identify talent and develop it, like. You need a Dabo type guy or a Nick Saban type guy. You you just have to hit a home run with the hire, and you know, Chip Kelly has not been that guy. We'll see what happens. I, that situation does not seem to be getting better on the field. You you know the off the field stuff. We'll see what happens there, but on the field, it just doesn't seem like it's gotten much better. So we'll we'll see about that. Did you know that 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated? We're suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus. It doesn't have to be this way. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc all help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There are no synthetic colors and no artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code STAPLES at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code STAPLES for 25% off your first order. drinkhydrant.com, enter promo code STAPLES. Now, David, let's help out one of our friends across the pond. We got Damian B. And this is from an NFL fan in the UK. Just a quick question. Are there no recruiting rules for colleges to ensure that teams aren't overloaded with talent to balance the game? <laughs> uh, my man, Damian, imagine if the Patriots got four of the first 10 picks of the draft every single year. That's college football. My apologies, mate. Well, it, I'm assuming Damien follows the Premier League. Isn't that kind of what international soccer yeah, is? Yeah, I the, so. There's like three teams. The, the wealthiest teams can just amass talent. Yeah. Also, I believe you said the phrase recruiting rules, which uh, I, I I need to laugh a haughty laugh while I Google bag man. Um, best, best of luck, my guy. <laughs> what, what, what's the English term for bag? Like, okay, they call a, a, a hood of a car a bonnet. They call an elevator a lift. We won't talk about what they call a cigarette. <laughs> what? What would the English term for bagman be? Uh, that's a good question. Um, penny packer. I like it. I like it. Let's stick with penny packer. Um, I think that. I think that one works. That's uh, yeah. That I mean, that's the thing. That, so realistically, what are the rules that that would limit one school from just amassing? And it, it, it's the scholarship. Yeah, the 20, scholarship limits and twenty five a year is the only sort of 
restrictor plates, to borrow a term from uh, the car racing world, that that sort of allows for that, but but not much. Yeah, I, uh, you just got to get yourself a good penny packer, and <laughs> then your your twenty five will be better than everybody else's twenty five. That's that's the way it works. Let's move on to the question that fascinates me. To no end, and I answered this in writing, but I want to get your thoughts on this, David, because it, it's just, it hits everybody a different way, I feel like. So this is from Ben S. And he says, hello, I love the column in the podcast. I grew up as a huge fan of the University of Florida, went to football games with my family. I hated Tennessee and Georgia, and most importantly, hated Florida State. The thing is, I recently committed to attend Florida State because they offered me a scholarship. How can I unlearn my hate of Florida State and change my allegiance to the Knowles instead of the Gators. Thanks for keeping me entertained during quarantine. So my feeling on this, David, is he's going to Florida State, and, and this is actually similar to the reason I chose Florida. I was not a Florida fan growing up, but I wasn't – I didn't hate Florida. I was just indifferent to them. I was a South Carolina fan. You know, the, I lived in Florida. There were Gators all over. But Florida and Florida State and Miami were all good at football, and everybody you know, cheered for them. I just didn't care. But so I guess Florida didn't have as much to overcome with me, but I went because it was free. And it sounds like that's what Ben's doing here. And so a long time from now, he's going to be very grateful because he doesn't have student loans to pay back. But in the meantime, here's what I think happens. I think he's going to go to Tallahassee and still retain that Florida fandom. Now, very quickly, a lot of the things his family told him about Florida State and about Tallahassee are going to melt away. Because they probably told him that it's a horrible place and there's nothing to do there. Well, guess what? As someone who has lived in Gainesville for a long time and has spent a significant amount of time in Tallahassee, there's not much to do in either place. You're going to be doing basically the same thing in either place. But, and this is speaking from experience, they do a little more of the fun stuff in Tallahassee. <laughs> so I think you're going to like that. <laughs> so here's what I do. I think I would start with some mild shock therapy. Um, so you want to have a, you have a friend boot up YouTube and and holds a little shock. You get a, you can buy a shock collar at any number of places. Put that on. Watch, <laughs> watch the greatest Florida moments. Every time they score, boom, brr, shock. Save the really big shocks for the goal line stands against Oklahoma in 08 in the championship game. The Tebow jump pass, especially. Just watch the best Florida well, moments. Oh, here's here's you're gonna have to electrocute Ben. <laughs> When Ike Hilliard fakes that Florida State yes, BB out, yes. of his, out of his jock Precisely. in the mm-hmm. Sugar Bowl. So, but yes, and, and then in moments where Florida is beating Florida State, you obviously need to administer a little more. Yeah, for juice. sure. I think that's And then on the flip side, I think you take your favorite food. For me, maybe that's French toast or funnel cake, fried chicken of some kind, or that's wings, Korean fried chicken, some Chick-fil-A nuggets, whatever that, whatever that has oh. to be. Watch some Florida State highlights. You might not feel great the first couple times you see them, but every time you watch them and they do something great, you take a bite. Just watch the first half of the Boise State game last year and then turn it off. Watch that. <laughs> I was say, don't watch the second half. You take a bite. You watch all of those uh, all of those uh, big time scores, and then you just do that a couple times a week until the season starts. And buddy, I think I think he's got it. I think he's got it. Watch the nineteen eighty eight Florida State Clemson game when Deion Sanders stands at the bottom of the hill and tells the Tigers to come get you. <laughs> watch the two thousand thirteen Florida State Clemson game, which is equally a beatdown. There, there's a lot of good stuff there. There's a lot of, you know, fumble rooskies. Bobby Bowden was a fun coach to watch. So uh, watch Charlie Ward 
for sure and go, how much would he have dominated well, right now? Yeah. Because that guy and then was Watch some Knicks highlights of Charlie Ward also. I love Charlie Ward. He's, he's unbelievable. I've talked to him a couple times for stories in the last few years, and it's one of those that you just have to kind of pinch. You're like, I'm talking to Charlie Ward. <laughs> <laughs> one of the all-time. That, that, that was one of my favorite guys growing up. So it, it was – it was something. But, yeah, I think what I think is really going to happen, David, is Ben is going to get to Tallahassee. He's going to make some really good friends. He's going to maybe meet – a lot of people meet that they're the person they're going to be with for the rest of their life in college. And, and Or he's going to meet some people who he's not going to be with for the rest of his life, but he's going to have some fun with. So that could be one of those things where it gradually – you know, the first year – He's a still a Florida fan. Florida come Florida comes to Tallahassee. He wears orange and blue. He's that guy in the student section. The second year, maybe he's at a house party as Florida State goes to Gainesville. He's wearing neutral colors. He kind of says "Go Gators" under his breath. But by his junior year, he's not wearing the glitter paint that those two <laughs> dudes wear. But you know, he's in garden gold. I can see it. I can see it. I think he'll figure it out. It has a way of it has a way of getting to you. Well, and and Ben seems smart. Ben's going to school on a scholarship, so he's he's going to get it figured out. So, all right. When we do a Dear Andy show, we always do a random ranking. So we had uh, Adam, or one of our readers, suggested this one, and it's a good one. And you and I are taping this on Father's Day, the night of Father's Day. I hope yours was outstanding. Strong. It was a strong one. Mine, mine was strong, too. It involves sobering up for this podcast, which was fantastic. So, But now we go to a ranking of TV dads, your top five TV dads. So, David, who is your number five? So a couple things on this before we start. I think, because I was talking to my wife about this earlier, I would not call this explicitly a commenting on their parenting skills as much as how much I enjoyed watching them on the screen. That's Ooh, that's okay. where I'm that, coming this is, from. This is interesting. I'm, I'm glad you – because there's a couple that I probably would have yeah. put on here if I thought they were better parents. I We'll see. I, I'm curious. I don't want to spoil anything, but 10 years ago, Cliff Huxtable would have been on this list so, for me. So he's the DQ one. on my list. I had him. Yeah, you can't, he, you can't he, have him. Cliff Huxtable <laughs> deserves a shout-out, but for obvious reasons, he did not make my list. And to the flip yeah, side of how much it, I enjoyed watching him on screen, I did not go all the way and put Walter White on my list. But, <laughs> but. <laughs> that's what I, I, I said that to my wife because I was going through some, some best TV dad lists on the internet. And I'm like, who puts Walter White on their list? <laughs> he did not make mine. Uh, so do you want to start or do you want me to? Uh, you can go with your Okay, so five. my number five, I'm going to go a little bit of a wild card. I tried to stay mostly mainstream shows, but I had to hit one that hit, that strikes me near and dear to my heart. Mr. Floyd Henderson, can you tell me what show Floyd Henderson is on, Andy? You might be a little old for this. Am I too, am I too old? You might be. You this. might so be. Okay, so... Oh, yeah, I... I well, okay. This show came up with you last it time, did. didn't it? It did. When, when we were on the podcast last time, you talked to somebody from Smart Guy, right? So he's from Smart Guy. He is Guy. from Smart Guy, uh, a classic show that aired on multiple networks. Um, but, you know, Floyd, he's finding his way in the world. He's got three kids. Uh, they're all very, very different. And Floyd, you know what? 
He's got a genius little 10-year-old who's in high school. He's got a mini Mac sort of uh, older brother uh, in high school. And then, of course, Yvette, who is uh, a very headstrong young woman who's definitely going places. And he's just trying to play traffic cop and make sure everybody gets by. Props to Floyd Henderson. He's number five on my list. Yeah, I was in the wrong age group for this. I was probably just yeah, too probably old just to, a little bit. It was. It would have been if I'd have been like five years younger. It would have been aimed right <laughs> at my age group. So uh, that's 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 why I never I never watched that one. So this is one though that you probably are a little too young for. I, you may have watched the show or not, but it's another one that's that's a little bit oddball that that I don't think most people would say. Number five for me, Earl Sinclair. Do you know what show? I he's believe from? that is from uh, Dinosaurs. That's right. That's right. Not to mama. Not to mama. <laughs> Talk about Earl a working Sinclair man. Was a very put up- <laughs> yeah, he was a very put-upon sitcom dad. He just happened to be a dinosaur. But that that show is one of those that I think if you go back and watch it, you're like, hmm, these guys were, were kind of ahead of their Yeah, time. yeah. Uh, so my number four, uh, Mr. Carl Winslow, uh, just trying to make his way in the world as well. Uh, a, a, I debated a on A full this house one, without the name he- full house, yes. He lost a daughter and nobody said boo. He's a cop and he couldn't go find his lost daughter. Okay, that's a fair criticism. But, but, listen, he took in a young neighbor boy who uh, caused all kinds of ruckus, was doing some light genetic experimentation in his basement. And you know what? Carl Winslow, he just rolled with it. And he made sure everybody except for his lost daughter was doing fine. Judy Winslow, where, where did you go? Yeah, I bet Stefan or Kel knows where Judy Winslow went. <laughs> All right, my number four is Andy Taylor. Uh, your your first one, Floyd Henderson, was a widowed father. Andy Taylor, also a widowed father, always knew what to do. Probably knew a little too well what to do, but when your name's on the show, you make your character the hero of every story. Like, he, he never screwed up. Aunt B might occasionally correct him, but for the most part, Barney was the one screwing up. Andy... Just did everything right. I think you did. You say Andy Taylor? Are we talking about Andy? Oh wait. Okay. Yes, that's his name on there. Now, yes, that was the, char- gotcha. the character's name. Okay, yeah. I'm yeah. on board. I was, I was, I was confused there for a second. I was like, I missed something. Okay. Yeah. No. A- Andy Griffith's name's on the show, so I'm sure there may have been some scripts that came through where where Andy Taylor was supposed to mess something up. He's like, and Andy Griffith's nah. like, Nah, I don't <laughs> think that would happen that way. <laughs> I would never do that. Uh, my number three. Uh, you might know him as Coach Taylor. His terrible daughter, Julie, knows him as Eric Taylor slash dad. Listen, he was a dad to everyone. I think about his relationship with Matt Saracen, especially when Matt Saracen had a fraught relationship with his own father. You got to love Coach Taylor. Easily. easily. And a a relationship with his daughter. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Easily an elite TV dad. Uh, I almost put him higher on this list, but he comes in at number three for me. All right, number three for me is a guy who on the surface seems like a horrible dad, but when the chips were down, he always had his kids or his wife's back. He once scored four touchdowns in one game for Polk High. Yes, Al Bundy from Mary Real Children. <laughs> I can't ride with you on this one. I hate that show. I'm to- I'm all the way out on Married with Children. Because oh. <laughs> he- he-, he clearly professes to hate his wife and his children, but every time they need him, he comes through. Every single That's time. That's true. That's true. I'll give him. I'll so, give him props for that. Who Who is your number? My number two. two I'm going. I'm going current. I'm going Mr. Randall Pearson uh, from This Is Us. Uh, old super dad dealing with uh, all kinds of uh, 
anxiety, all kinds of different sort of uh, family drama, some sort of major tear-jerking family event every week, and yet he soldiers on. So props to Randall Pearson. I have I have not seen an episode of, of This Is Us because I don't feel like crying every week. You got to get the tear ducts. You got to get those tear ducts a workout. Sometimes they're happy tears, and most of the time they're not, but sometimes they are. I, I just can't do it. I, it's, it seems like just everybody who watches that show is a wreck. Constantly. Yeah, that's so fair. I can't, I can't handle that's it. That's fair. My number two, you probably know him best as somebody's uncle, but he had kids of his own. Philip Banks. Oh, you now, have stolen my number one. His wife got replaced in the middle, but yeah, I, I you stole my number one already. <laughs> so, but. But Uncle Uncle Phil always knew what to do. Carlton turned out successful. Hillary turned out successful. And Will, who, I mean, he basically raised as his own son because why he didn't want me, Uncle Phil. Uh, and, and Uncle Phil handled that situation perfectly, by the way. Perfectly. Uncle Phil was just great. Now, did you ever see the episode of Family Matters where over the end credits... They had the actor who played Uncle Phil, and I'm blanking on his name, walk in the front door as Reginald Vell Johnson is walking out of the kitchen. No, I have not seen that. They look nothing alike. Yeah, I don't think they look anything alike. The guy who played Uncle Phil is like a foot taller and 100 pounds heavier than Reginald Vell Johnson. But they they had this big hug, and it was was hysterical. But that is. That is one of the great Family Matters moments. So yeah, to but quote Philip Banks, a much better dad than Carl. Yeah. Winslow. So to quote to quote J Cole, first things first, rest in peace, Uncle Phil, for real. James Avery. Now here's here's what I'll say. James Avery, a classically trained actor, and Absolutely. if you love a Will Smith movie, you probably have James Avery in many ways to thank for it. Obviously, Will Smith, tremendously talented actor. He's done a million different things. Um, but that was one of his first big projects, and 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 he really looked up to James Avery on set, and they talked a ton about uh, acting and uh, and and sort of the art of it, and and they really helped. James Avery was very uh, instrumental in helping young Will Smith um, become the actor he is today. So props to him, uh, a classically trained actor, uh, certainly missed not only on television but by those who who know him, James Avery, aka. Philip Banks, a.k.a. Uncle Phil, the GOAT TV dad. So my number one, and, and you've already mentioned him, Coach Eric Taylor, for a lot of the same reasons you mentioned, he just was everybody's dad. And Uncle Phil kind of did the same thing. But Coach Taylor had to be, you know, you, you name it, Saracen, Riggins, uh, Voodoo when he was there, although that was very briefly. But it was – it was always something going in. Now, I will admit, though, Tammy Taylor did a lot of heavy lifting. Like, she's way up there on my TV mom's list, too. But the, I think part of it is that Eric Taylor – and so my, my dad was a, a high school football coach, like a football high school football assistant coach growing up. And so, like, I, I'd spend a lot of days after elementary school hanging out at practice and, and hanging out in the coach's office. And so – those guys just played that part perfectly. And, and, and so my parents were also one of those, both of them work at the school kind of parents like Tammy Taylor and Eric Taylor. And Kyle Chandler 
just had the mannerisms of a high school football coach down. Like where he looks like he's always chewing gum <laughs> and he's it's just everything about him was perfect. And then everything about their discussions at home about what was going on at school was perfect. Mm-hmm. It's a it was it was flawed. Friday Night Lights is a top five all time show for me. Uh, and then of course Except for season two. Yeah, the we we don't have time to get into season two, but uh props to him also for uh uh making a contention for uh all time goat uh T V husband with the season five finale. Uh spoiler alert if you haven't watched it. He agrees to uproot his life from Texas to the Northeast uh, in support of his wife's career. So props to uh, Mr. Eric Taylor. And then he becomes a pretty morally compromised cop on Bubba. <laughs> yes, one could say. Uh, the relocation from uh, the Northeast to the Florida Keys uh, did not go quite as smoothly as the relocation from uh, from, from uh, Texas to, the to uh, was it Philadelphia or Pittsburgh or something like that? I can't even remember where they wound up. And then Saracen was at Brown, so he was in Providence. But uh, So Kyle, we'll bring this back to college football. Kyle Chandler, a proud graduate of? I don't know. The University of Georgia. Okay. I think I feel like I've seen him show up like in some form when Georgia's had a big game of like, oh, I love something like that. Maybe I, 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 I feel like I've seen that before. Kirby's got to get him to give the, the pep yeah, talk at some point. Yeah, that's true. Right? I'd like to see that. We know he's got practice. We just got to get him and Al Pacino to team up for a uh, a pregame speech and and let them rip. Oh, oh! I, I. By the way, fact error for me. He's not a graduate of the University of Georgia. He left Athens seven credits short of a drama degree. Uh, at Mizzou, we call that a Brad Pitt, who I believe is three credits short of his Mizzou degree. <laughs> But John Ham, John Ham got. I his, believe right? John Ham uh, got the paper. Yes, uh, but Brad Pitt. Still and Cheryl sure. Crow got hers, right? Uh, yes, I believe she did. Um, yes, Cheryl Crow did. Um, I'm trying to think. It's a short list of of prominent you know who, Zoo alums. You know who graduated from the University of Florida Journalism School? Um, I'm going to guess Andy Staples. Well, him too. <laughs> but Bob Vila. Really, Bob Vila, baby. I did not know That's that. Right. Interesting. Where where is he at? This should have been his moment. Everyone's stuck at home. Can we get a Bob Vila YouTube channel of him just showing us how to do very basic, uh, uh, very basic like home improvement things on a YouTube channel? I feel like that would do very very well. This was his moment, and I feel like he he let it slip. I feel like he made his money, and now he's just working on a deck somewhere because that's what. Yeah, that's probably about right. Fair enough. He had this. If you have a show, it was syndicated, right? His little uh, this old house. Yes. Okay. So if you're on that syndication flow, like Judge Judy makes like forty six million dollars a year or something, doesn't she? So if you're (laughs) if you're on that if you're on that syndication cash, boy, I better never see you again. You need to go buy a big house in the hills and just chill because that's 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 when you've really made it when you hit that syndication. Yeah, he he's just putting up shiplap. I don't know. I, he probably doesn't feel the same way about Shiplap as the folks on TV. Well, the, the, he may be the best part a, about his life is he doesn't have to tell us what he thinks about Shiplap anymore because he's got that syndication money. How do we get that syndication money? That's a good question. I guess I have to write a TV show and then have it be tremendously successful, run for 100 episodes, six seasons or so, and then uh, sell it to whoever 
whoever decides what goes in syndication get the, that's, get that TBS superstation money. <laughs> that's exactly right. Well, it, it, as you said that, I was thinking of one of the guys that I I was tempted to put on my best TV dads list, but he was actually kind of a terrible father, and that was Fred Sanford. Yeah, that's probably he was always right. calling his son a big <laughs> dummy and making his son do all the work. So, not a great dad, but a hysterical a sh- dad to watch. A shrewd father, perhaps not a good father. <laughs> all right, David Oven. Thank you so much. I, I think we have uh, enlightened everyone today. Uh, we've told people in England uh, how to watch out for the penny packer, and we have told a young man in the state of Florida how to forget everything he was taught and embrace the Seminoles. So That's, I think our work here is done. That sounds like a productive show. <laughs> Thanks, David. Thank you. That's it for the show today. Thank you so much for joining us. Come back Wednesday. We're talking to Phil Steele. That's right. You get preseason magazines. You're a college football fan who your Christmas Day comes in June or came in June normally when you got those preseason magazines. Well, Phil's might have been your favorite. There's going to be a Phil Steele magazine this year. It has not come out yet. We'll talk about what happened to Phil during the pandemic, what he had to decide in terms of is he going to put out a magazine or not, and what made him finally say, you know what, we're putting out the magazine. Talk to Phil Steele on Wednesday on the Andy Staples Show.